The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Proverbs chapter 21, for our instruction in walking in wisdom and in holiness. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every man, or I'm sorry, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a sneer of death. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. The way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. When a scoffer is punished, the simple becomes wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. A gift in secret averts anger and a concealed bribe strong wrath. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. This concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God again be pleased add his blessing. Well, there's a saying I once heard that goes like this. Change the way you look at things, and the things you look at change. The things or circumstances don't actually change, but the perspective changes is what this is saying. This was Asaph's experience, which he recounted in Psalm 73. He was angry and embittered that the wicked had such a trouble-free life while the people of God were suffering for serving him. And he wondered why it was even worth serving God if it just produced trouble. However, Asaph had a change of heart, not when the circumstances around him changed or when God rained down fire from heaven on the wicked, but rather when he entered into the sanctuary of the Lord. And that's when he realized that the wicked are set on a slippery slope while God holds him by his right hand. When he changed the way he looked at things through the lens of God's truth, the things he looked at changed, even though in reality they did not change. He just had a change of perspective. And this is what our passage in Proverbs is helping us with here. It is giving us the proper perspective on many things in life that might sour us, that might be a sore spot and potentially lead us to be embittered against God. However, God removes the veil, as it were, and let us peek 
in behind the scenes and see these things from the perspective of His truth. God doesn't promise to change these things in this life, but He does help us with the proper perspective in order to be changed while looking at them. And so four things that need to be looked at with the proper perspective is what we're looking at. The first is the heart. The second is wealth. The third is the wicked. And the fourth is justice. So the first thing that needs to be looked at with the proper perspective is the heart. You see the king's heart to begin with in verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So the king was the most powerful man on earth. There was no stopping him unless you had an army more powerful than his. And yet, Scripture tells us that the one who is the most powerful and least controlled, controllable is controlled by the powerful hand of the Lord. The Holy Spirit says that the heart of the king, so it refers to his will, his desires, his thinking and planning that leads to his actions. It's like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord that gets turned in whichever direction that the Lord desires. It's an analogy from irrigating in farmland where channels of water are directed towards the farmer's own ends. This is the way it is with the king. God directs the heart of the king to do whatever he planned, directed towards his own ends. Now, humans are still free moral agents, and they are responsible for their own actions, and yet God in his sovereignty directs them towards his own ends. We see this with Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. You remember, God said to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh such and such. However, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he doesn't let you go in order that I might judge him for not letting you go. God explicitly says in no uncertain terms that he is the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart. And yet, God holds Pharaoh responsible and judges him for his failure to let the people of Israel go. And even there in Exodus, the same event where God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. A verse later says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, referring to the same event. And so both are true. And what's happening is, is that God takes Pharaoh's sinful heart. Pharaoh's heart's already sinful. God doesn't put sin in Pharaoh's heart. Rather, God takes the sin that's already in Pharaoh's heart and directs it towards his own good ends. The good ends being that God is going to show his might and power in judging Pharaoh. And this teaches us that while things may seem out of control, and men seem to get away with doing great evil, yet God is controlling all things towards his own good 
ends, even though we may not understand it. And there's a great mystery here as well. We don't have the gaps filled in between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Both are true. Man's responsible. Man must exercise means. And yet God is in control. And he uses even evil for his own good ends. And now we move on to our own hearts. Look at verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. This is our natural disposition towards ourselves. We're right in our own eyes. How, how many of us, when we are complimented, put up as much of a defense or put up as, as much uh, resistance as when we're criticized? When we're criticized, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa you, got, you got me all wrong here. Uh, let me challenge you on that. But when we're complimented, we, we, same challenge doesn't go forward, does it? Like, oh, thank you, of course. I mean, it's okay to say thank you, and it's okay to receive uh, encouragement. But that just to say that, as the Scripture says here, and even look at what it says, every way, all our ways, we see is right in our own eyes. Our natural tendency, apart from grace, is to justify ourselves in everything leaving no room for any condemnation. Uh, we are, by our sinful nature, naturally self-righteous. We're, we're happy to condemn others and, and pick their sin apart with a fine-tuned comb. Even if we don't do it out loud, we do it in our own minds, but not our ways. They're right. So much so that we get offended at correction. In fact, if someone hinders us to do all our will, then it becomes oppressive because we are so right. How, how would you ever disagree with anything that you think I should do according to my own will? But it is not we ourselves that should be evaluating ourselves or justifying ourselves, but it's the Lord, as our verse says. We need to submit ourselves to His Word the scrutiny of his word, examine our own hearts. Of course, we can take the word and twist it to justify our own actions, and that is why we need the counsel and input of others to speak into our lives, which is what the Proverbs has told us over and over and over and over again. But do we spend more time focused on the sin of others or examining our own ways? And in evaluating our hearts and ways, we have verse 3 to remind us to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And what this is saying here is sacrifice refers to externally following the religious rules to a T, offering up the exact right kind of sacrifice that God requires. I've studied it. I've looked at every single John and Tittle. I made sure I get it exactly right. but there's not a heart to actually do righteousness and justice. This is a religious hypocrite. They'll make sure that they have all the boxes checked, but you'll never hear them confess their own sin with a humble and contrite heart. But they will get on you about your rule breaking. And this is the way it is with man. Man would more readily keep a thousand religious rules 
and make 10,000 fig leaves before being broken and humble before the Lord, leading to doing justice and mercy. But this is the way of a proud heart, which verse 4 addresses. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. So haughty eyes is similar to our expression of somebody who's sticking up their nose. This is uh, somebody who's proud, thinks they're pretty great, thinks they're pretty special, thinks you're lousy, and don't realize how offensive and sinful he is. And so the rest of the verse says that the lamp of the wicked is sin. A lamp is what lit somebody's way, especially back then they didn't have street lights. They had a path, and it's kind of when we go out in the wilderness, we have a headlamp. But that's the way it is. You can't see anything uh, without light. And so the lamp lit somebody's way. But for the wicked, their lamp, their guide is sin. Their proud heart leads them astray, causing them to be blinded to their own sin. While again, they're scrupulous judges of others' sins. And we need the proper perspective on our hearts, which according to Jeremiah 17, more deceitful than all else. And we need to be aware that we are often blind to our sin, thinking that our way is right while everyone else's way is wrong. We need to be aware of that and have the proper perspective. A second thing that needs to be looked at through the proper perspective is wealth. Verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So we see a diligent person here, someone who cares about his work, who considers it, who thinks things through, who works heartily. He's invested in his work and thinks about how to do it well and perseveres in it. And generally speaking, again, Proverbs are general, generally speaking, this leads to abundance. But the opposite is true with one who is hasty. This is not someone who thinks things through carefully. This is someone who's rash, does not take into consideration being a good steward of every responsibility he's been given, including his family. He can also be someone who thinks that he can get rich quickly. And that, and then he ends up making unwise choices. And this, generally speaking, leads to poverty. In verse 6, the getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a sneer of death. So not only is being rash one way to come to poverty, but much worse, using deceitful means. Man will stretch the truth, hide things, make half-truths. In essence, not do unto others as he would have them do unto him in order to gain money, but this is a fleeting vapor and a sneer of death. It will soon come to an end. It's like the vapor goes off your coffee in the morning. It will soon grow cold. It will come to an end. And it's a sneer of death. It keeps him trapped in his sin, leading to death. So we need to have the right perspective on wealth, that it is gained through God's lawful means and to trust God to abundantly provide. A third thing that needs to be looked at through the proper perspective, and that is the wicked. Verse 7 says, The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. One of the things we need to keep in mind in this life is we see the wicked, that they seem to get away with everything. Why is God not acting? Why didn't God put a stop to this? The proper perspective is 
God will deal with them. He will repay. And how He will repay them is in a sort of poetic justice way. They will be swept away by their own violence. It's like Haman, who was who was put to death by the very gallows that he made for Mordecai. God will see to it that they repay. That they are repaid. And this is because, as verse 8 says, the way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. Now this seems pretty opposite, this seems pretty obvious, but in a perverse world where good is called evil and evil is called good, and people gaslight uh, all the time, they gaslight the innocent, it needs to be said that the way of the guilty is crooked. It goes off the straight and narrow path that's, accordance to, that's in accordance to God's word. But those who are upright, who have integrity, and walk in that straight and narrow path, their way is pure. And then the Proverbs move to the wicked women. Verse 9, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, of course, marriage difficulties can go both ways. Having a fool as a husband is horribly difficult for a wife. And, of course, we see the fool talked about all throughout Proverbs. However, marital suffering can also be experienced by a husband who has a foolish and wicked wife. Here, the proverb says that it's better to live in the corner of a rooftop then with a quarrelsome wife. Now back then, a rooftops had a battlement, so it's kind of like a like a concrete fence at the top of the roof. And it's better for the husband to live outside in the elements than inside the comforts of one's home with the storm of one's wife. A quarrelsome wife is a woman who creates strife. She exhibits the deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, and envy. The things that Paul says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is a self-centered woman who makes life about herself, who gets easily offended because she has a really high view of herself, and who considers her own interests as more important than others. And she, does not have a, she does not have a gracious light spirit that's gentle and quiet, that which is precious in God's sight, that which overlooks faults, that, that which believes all things, that which hopes all things, that which endures all things. And she needs to realize this perspective from God's Word, that she is making things so miserable that it is better for the family to live in the corner of a roof. But realizing this should ultimately lead her to look to Christ. This says for any of us, any of us in our sin, to look to Christ as the one who's gentle and humble of heart, the one who gave himself up for us, the one who put our interests above his own when he died on the cross. Because the main issue is this, being under the law is a covenant of works where she is bearing this burden leading her to act the way she does in anger in bitterness in holding wrongs against others not realizing that her wrongs have all been forgiven she and all of us in here need to recognize the soul of a fool verse 10 
The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. So the flesh and deceitful heart will always say the reason for one's anger, the reason for one's fits of rage, the reason for one's dissension is because of outside circumstances and people. But the Word of God says here that it is the soul that desires evil and therefore acts it out. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19. Out of the heart, not from outer circumstances, but out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. But what doesn't come out of this person's heart is mercy. It's not treating someone as their sin deserves, showing pity on them in the face of their offense against you, and truly desiring their good and wanting to help them out. They may be nice, kind, and polite, and socially gracious outwardly, but they will not show actual mercy and grace. It says their neighbor, even their closest neighbor in their home, find no mercy in their eyes. A fourth thing that needs to be looked at through the proper perspective is justice. You see in verse 11, when a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. So this is justice, the scoffer being punished, but he's not the one learning. Who's learning? The simple one learns. Now the simple is somebody who doesn't have wisdom, but isn't a scoffer. A scoffer is someone who's hardened in his foolishness and really is beyond the point of being taught. A simple person can go either way, doesn't have wisdom, hasn't hardened himself in foolishness, but when the scoffer's punished, then the simple one's the one who's learning. But notice the wise person. The wise person doesn't need to learn from consequences. All he needs is instruction. It says when a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. We should be those who are wise. We should be those who, are in, who receive instruction, receive correction, are taught and don't need to learn the hard way. And as a wise person, also need to hear the cry of the poor. Verse 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. That's justice. Now the poor here are those who are truly in need and not somebody who is lazy and who pretends to be poor. A merciful and gracious person has pity on those in need. Not only those who have a financial need, but those who are under poor circumstances, who are under very great difficulties, emotionally and spiritually. A, a, a wise person, a gracious and merciful person, longs to bless and help others, longs to help the weak, and does not close his ear or heart to them. But in God's poetic justice, he will close his ear to the one who is characterized by closing his ear to the cry of the poor. And this will especially happen on the day of judgment. As verse 12 says, the righteous one observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. Nothing ex escapes God's sight. He will bring judgment and forever overthrow the house of the wicked so that they have no place on earth to dwell. And then we see man's perverted justice in verse 14. 
A gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bride strong wrath. So that this is done in secret, that this is done in a concealed way, indicates that this is sin. It's to pay off somebody. It's not justice. It's to avoid just punishment by paying someone off. Money or material goods. And a man of anger and strong wrath can be paid off in this unjust way. Because a man of anger doesn't care about justice. Even though he's always angry, it may seem like it, but he doesn't. He cares about his own way. He cares about his own selfish will. Therefore, he could be paid off at the bride to turn away his anger. But it is the righteous who truly love justice. Verse 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. The one who is righteous loves righteousness and justice. The one who loves the right thing loves when the right thing is done. But the one who is an evildoer, whose soul desires evil, as verse 10 says, is terrified of when justice is done. He is actually banking on justice not being done. He's banking on a world where he can get away from true justice. You want to understand the trajectory of our culture, and really, while our culture has some idiosyncratic expressions, uh, really, there's nothing new under the sun. But if you want to understand the world, if you want to understand our culture, this is it here. They are terrified of justice because they know deep down inside that they deserve justice. As Romans 1 says, those who do such things know that they are worthy of death. They know it. That's why they want to create a world of perversion where it's normalized, where justice is not done because it is a terror to them. Now, there's a lot of angry people at the Supreme Court's ruling that, that overturned Roe versus Wade, even though all it did is just return it to the states. But still, because they want to continue to indulge in sexual immorality without any consequences, they hate even that being done. And so even an inkling of justice being done reminds them of what they know down, deep down inside. Justice is coming. They will pay. God will by no means clear the guilty. Something they're desperately trying to suppress. But the reason it is a joy to us who are righteous is not because we are intrinsically righteous in and of ourselves any better than anybody else or can pass God's judgment on Judgment Day in and of ourselves. If we were to face God's judgment based on what we deserved, then we would get everything that is coming to the wicked. Eternal judgment. Rather, the reason why it is a joy for us to see righteousness done is because Christ has taken the judgment we deserve. We are clothed in His righteousness. Justice has been done by Christ taking our judgment for us. He stood condemned in our place to pay for our sins in full, thus fully satisfying God's justice. And Christ's death, burial, and resurrection has freed us from our slavery to sin so that we begin to reflect the heart of our righteous King which is to love righteousness, to love justice. That is why we love righteousness. 
Therefore, the evil that this world does, we hate. Even the evil that we ourselves still do in our remaining sin, we also hate. But we have this perspective on justice. Loving it. Loving when it is done. Because we are forgiven. And our just King loves us. And is is transforming us into His image. Has given us a new heart whereby we love Him. And we seek to do His righteous ways. And we want to see justice done so that our just King receives the glory and honor that He so rightfully deserves. And so, may we be those who love righteousness truly. And not only love it when justice is done, but love to do what is righteous and just ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we confess to you that we do not always love it when righteousness is done, especially when we face consequences. So we ask you to forgive us for these things. We ask that we would be true people of mercy and justice, emulating our great King, loving Him, loving what is right, because you have given us grace. Increase that grace to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.
You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.